0: Oh my goodness. All right. I'm walking up and there's a, uh, there's a clock on the pulpit. So can we just take a few minutes and think about scripture and, uh, and think about truth of who God is. It's been an incredible day and we would be remiss if we don't just pause and say, Jesus, what do you want us to do with a day like this? I mean, I I don't know where your heart is. Mine is very full, um, to be able to celebrate baptism with with seven and to be able to be partnered with a church that ministers to the nations just leaves me very um, ripe and thankful for Christ. To be able to be friends with Ryan and I think to search out his retainer as a 10-year-old out of a trash can at Hardy's in Montgomery, Alabama. And 25 years later, to be able to stand with him as he holds his daughter is quite a privilege for me. And I really feel rich in Christ right now. Did you know that story at all? Good. It was a big story. Um, And so, uh, but I I think that um, lesser of the feelings of the moment, I want us to walk out grounded in the truth of God's word. And what he wants from us. And so what I always um, say is I love that we meet again next week and I don't have to stand up and preach for 45 minutes. Amen. Thank you. I was looking for Rick Wheeler on that loud and hearty amen on that. But I do want us to just kind of stop and pause and say, Lord, what are you doing? And I, I really love in light of, of, of where we are today and where we've been just to kind of ponder this and to keep in mind what God is doing among us. We've talked about eternity past in Ephesians, the first chapter, verses one through four. And just the fact that, that it's mind boggling to us that before the foundation of the world, God, um, knew us. And He chose us and He, He preordained or foreordained us for His good works and for His glory. And, and that just really means, as I get, and this, this illustration really does break down. And if you haven't seen it, I, I've told it two times now, so I will do a very annotated Reader's Digest version. But um it breaks down because there is no endpoint to the living God. Just somewhere back here in the perichoretic dance of the Father, Perichoresis is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, kind of a description of the Trinity before before time existed, and they were just a choreograph of grace. They were a dance of grace, if you will. And somewhere, and I this will boggle my mind, so I don't even know how to explain it other than to read it in scripture and worship God for the mystery of his wonder. But somewhere back here in eternity past, what does that mean? Somewhere in eternity, God was in a glorious unity with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And in the midst of that unity, God the Son who would, according to Colossians 1, be the creative force. They looked at one another and said, somewhere around 2015, we're going to have this group sitting here together for the sake and praise of my glory. And we're going to have them in Jacksonville, Florida for the sake of who I am. And so somewhere way back here, God knew us. He was in process of, he there is no process with God. He knew us. He adopted us. He forgave us, He drew us into His family, and we just kind of walk into that, and then somewhere as we get a little bit closer to our lives, because this is an eternity rope, if you will, this is kind of like where we fit, you get over here to our lives, and kind of think, okay, here's us, here's the little red us, we're sitting here in the middle of the eternity rope. If you were here before, I put us on the end, and that's not how it fits, because there was a foreknowledge of us that far preceded us, but in recent history, maybe somewhere around right here, God Himself put on flesh and came and dwelled among us. And according to Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10, He put on flesh and dwelled among us. He walked among us. He demonstrated what it looked like to live life among us. And then uh, He gave Himself as a sacrifice for us so that we could be freed and absolved from sin, so that we could be justified in Him. So somewhere in the, in the recent historical past... God did the redeeming work through the cross of Jesus Christ who was buried, who was dead on the cross, buried and resurrected on the third day for the sake of who we are. And somewhere eternity past, he had foreknowledge of us and somewhere recent history past, he stepped in and redeemed us and forgave us and brought us life. Praise God for that. And, and we were, according to the scripture, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we were made white as snow. And we step into this story right now, looking into this present moment and saying, God, what do I, if this is my life, this little red blip on, on the, on the place of eternity, what do I do with this life? Because somewhere in a great eternity past, you knew me in your foreknowledge. And somewhere in the recent history, you redeemed me through the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And in this moment, we saw seven... We saw seven who somewhere on this vapor, this mist of life, who somewhere around this vapor, some of the, some of the folks from Cuba were a little later on the red dot, some of the children were a little earlier on the little red dot, but we're all in this little scope here, and they're coming in and saying, we know Jesus, this Jesus of history past, this Jesus of eternity past, we know him, and we are accepting him. Ephesians 1.13, I believe says that we are Believing the message which has been a part of eternity past and history past. We are embracing, believing, throwing all that we have into the message of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that, in that, we just, we just line up and go, are you kidding me, God? We are so grateful for who you are. And then we step into, I love Paul because he's he's writing this. He writes of eternity past. He writes of history past. And then listen in Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. He says, we have received an inheritance in Christ. And this can be translated two ways and, and, I love your illustration with your grandson because we have received an inheritance in Christ. We have received the riches of God in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. And you could also interpret this this way. We are the inheritance of Christ. And as he stood in the baptismal pool, that's what what I was saying, is that there is this inheritance of the goodness and the wealth and the grace of Christ, but there is also a legacy or privilege or responsibility. We are, as a people after God's heart, we are freed in this moment to be worshipers. To be able to say in response to all of this, are you kidding me? As I am living on this small part of this, God, I want to be a part of the worship of who you are for all of eternity because I have an inheritance in you and I am made an inheritance in you. And apparently the incense of my worship will smell sweet to you and I want your throne and your holiness and your your whole of who you are to just simply look and say, Wow. In spirit, and in truth, and in fullness, and in abandoned. As an individual, but I think more importantly, as a corporate body of believers, our full own worship is moving toward the King of Glory. We're just we're just understanding the gravity of what He has done so that we can be worshippers. He says that over and over throughout this, according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of His will, so that we who have already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to His glory. That's why we're here. Simply be worshipers who bring praise to His glory. When you heard the message of truth, when you heard the gospel of salvation in this moment in time, when you embraced that as truth, and when you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of your inheritance for the redemption of the possession. And here again, it's why you're here. And it is all for the praise of the glory of God. I mean, we have been given airship and joint airship with Christ for the praise of His glory. We have been sealed by the Spirit of God for the praise of His glory. We should be worshipers in this moment. We should be freed for this to be about worship, to be able to say, Holy God, in eternity future, I'm going to spend an extraordinary amount of time just celebrating Your greatness for the praise of Your glory. And so I just, I just, Father, in this moment of red dot, I want to respond to you. And I begin to ask myself and understanding the scripture and being freed to worship, what is my first step? How do I take a first step into this level of truth? And I find that as a scripture I read last week when I came to you, brothers. This is 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, announcing the testimony of God to you. I didn't come with brilliance of speech. And I don't have a lot of wisdom. That's, I didn't put that as my first step. My first step is this. I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If that could be the first step of this body of believers, that in response to the eternity past, the foreknowledge of God, in response to the history past, the cross of Jesus Christ, in response to eternity future, our joint heirship with Christ, in response to that, if we could simply say this, there should be nothing known of us except the cross of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And if there's going to be chatter, and I asked this question a little while ago at the welcome, I just asked, what are we known for? If there's going to be chatter on the streets, what is that chatter? He answers this, I want them to know nothing except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. I come out in weakness and in fear and in trembling. My speech and proclamation, it's not persuasive with words of wisdom. Here's the persuasion that will move people. It will be a people who are moved to cry out for the presence and the power of the Spirit of God among them. And who were on their knees relentlessly saying, Holy God, stir among us. Stir so that there is a powerful demonstration by the Spirit so that our faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. When I start to wrestle with how do I respond to this extraordinary doxology of Paul as he talks about eternity past, history past, and eternity future, how do I respond to that? I respond to that with the first step of complete humility and a complete abandonment of my life to the things of God and to the power of Jesus Christ. And it begins with the whole church just finding themselves on their knees and saying, Father God, if you would demonstrate your power so far beyond anything that we could possibly bring, if you would demonstrate your power by a group of people who are fully submitted to you, whose lives are heartbroken for you, whose hearts are broken open for your glory, and who understand what they have already studied in group life today, that we can do nothing ourselves. We have nothing to offer but the living God. And that we cry out for Him. If that could be our response, then that would be beautiful. As we, as we consider this, last week I told a story. I said, what, a, what does a prostitute do who has been given freedom and, and forgiveness and, and been declared... I'm hearing voices. I'm, I guess, I'm trying to decide, is it the voice of the Lord? It's awesome. awesome. I'm like, I speak, Lord, I'm listening. That's where I'm kind of landing in this thing. We're we're just a prostitute who has heard truth and heard freedom will not change their actions. And those of us who are in this room who have prostituted ourselves, if you will, to the things of this world and given our lives away for the things of this world, how do we respond? What's a second step for us? This, this king's decree didn't just come to say, I am changing the rules, I'm changing the law, I forgive you, I love the king's decree. It is coming to say, I have brought you into my family. I have adopted you into the fullness of who you are. I am providing you with my name. I am ridding you of your grave clothes, if you will. And I am liberating you to worship. I started pondering that, as I shared that last week in, in, in Lazarus, who walked out of death into life, and I just started pondering, God, what are you teaching in that? And I went back and read the 12th chapter of the book of John, as you read about Lazarus, as he is sitting in a circle with Christ, and I begin to see this is this is what worship looks like for us. This is what a group of people who have been freed and forgiven, a group of people who have literally given themselves away to the things of this world, and are turning from that, and are turning to the things of God as we begin to cry out what does that look like what's next steps for us and I see a group of people who are sitting and recline in the 12th chapter of the book of John and they are eating a meal with Christ and I picture Martha who's there that says she's scurrying about and I picture Mary who's sitting in that moment and I begin to get a picture of the power of being free to worship because Mary does the most unthinkable thing. She, she literally takes this, and she had to come prepared to take this. She took this perfume that was essentially a year of, of her wages, and she broke it open, and with her hair, began to wash the feet of Jesus. And this is a powerful story, one that many of you have heard before. and is a beautiful response to the things of God. And I started to ask myself, what does it look like for a church who has been redeemed by the living God, who understands the foreknowledge of God, the history past of God, who understands their heirship in Jesus Christ, who is wrestling with that and responding to that. What does the church look like who, is, who has literally said, your grave clothes are taken off and you are adopted into the family? I can tell you what it would look like according to the 12th chapter of the book of John. It would look like a place that was aromatic with the glory and the worship of the living God. There would literally be, I believe, an aroma in this room that we would look. I I just picture i picture Mary looking at Lazarus, looking at Jesus, looking back at Lazarus, carrying this perfume in. I don't know the the background of the story as what she was thinking in that. I can imagine she evaluated at some point, is this worthy of breaking open before the King of Glory? And she's sitting with the man who's been resurrected from the dead. She's sitting with the man who resurrected him from the dead. And And she deemed that a moment to bring the aroma of worship because that's who we are as believers. And she brought it and broke it open and she literally put it in her hair and used her hair as a rag to wash the feet of Jesus. And I'm praying for us as a church that we will look at one another. We will look across this room. And right now as we sit in worship, we're reclining at a table, if you will. We are literally sitting with people who once were dead and separated from God. But have been rescued by the cross. And the redemptive work of Jesus. And there should be some response of worship. There should be an aroma. That is rising up in this room. That is the grace and the glory. And the goodness of God. And if not. What in the world are we doing here? And there should be a, a group of people. Who are looking around going. I remember. Listen, listen. If you've shared life together for a journey. I remember your grave clothes. I remember who you were before Christ. I remember what was happening in your life. But Christ stepped in. I mean, that should be a flood in the heart of the church. And I long for that. To be present among a group of believers everywhere that we gather is the aroma of worship, grave clothes laid down, the robe of righteousness on, and the worship of the living God abandoned. And here's, here's what I can promise you. I'm reading John 12, but I've also experienced this walking through life. There will be people who are not worshipers who will call you crazy and they will wonder what in the world you were thinking wasting that. And oh God, please remove the Judas from this room and from our presence so that we can literally waste our lives for the glory of Christ. We can spill out our lives. There will be those who are standing on the periphery and they will say this of those who have been resurrected from the dead. We should kill Lazarus because he's messing up our power and control. It's John 12. It's a heartbreaking moment when here you are with a man who has had his grave clothes stripped out, who, with a woman who is pouring out her worship, and one is looking for power, one is wanting to defeat this, and many, this is what you should hear, many are drawn into worship. We're freed in this room to look around and say, God, there were people who were once dead, but are resurrected from the dead, and it is the goodness of the cross that we celebrate. Praise you, Father. We have an inheritance in Him, and we we celebrate this, and we we... We mark out those who are not yet in, simply praying for them and saying, Oh God, that you would capture Judas's heart. Oh God, that the Pharisees would come to know you. That they would lose the pride and arrogance of themselves. It says we do that because we are marked by God. That's what the Scripture is teaching us in Ephesians, this, the first chapter. It's saying that, look, you have been marked by Him for the sake of His glory. You've been set apart by Him. You have received this inheritance in Him that is this... This joy that you have in God, you will spill out that inheritance. You won't hoard it. You won't hold it back. And in fact, this inheritance is a never-ending flood of God's goodness and grace. Pour it out for the sake of the kingdom. And not only that, but you're marked by His Spirit with the gospel of salvation when you believed in Him. This is such a liberating truth. You are sealed and guaranteed eternally in God through the Spirit of God. I mean, you are sitting in this eternity future saying, God, my future is secure. My hope is in you. It says in this, the Scripture says, when you believe, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. God, God marks those lives who are who are for His glory and who embrace His redeeming work for this to be His possession and to understand His power and His glory. That's why He marks us. He seals us, if you will, with ownership. You're secure in Christ. You're not sitting around thinking, what can I do somehow to merit the goodness of God? That weighing scale is no longer there. You have been marked by the living God. You are secured with the seal of His ownership. Assuming that you have believed in the cross of Jesus Christ, believed in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, cast all that you have into His story, His grace, His truth, and His cross. And at that moment of saying, God, I'm not inviting you into my heart. I'm not inviting you into my story. I am abandoning my story and coming after yours. God says that he seals us with his spirit. He marks us with himself. It is a finished transaction. The hope of the church is a resurrected Christ. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy that he has given us he has given us this new birth into the hope of the resurrection of jesus christ all praise and glory to him the strength of the church is the spirit of god In acts the ninth chapter verse 31 it says this so the church throughout judea galilee samaria it was at peace it had been built up they were walking in the fear of the lord in the encouragement of the holy spirit and the church increased in number If you want to walk in the midst of this, it says, look, you are being empowered and possessed by the Spirit of God. And you are walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God. The power and the confession of the church is a confession of the desperate need of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will not create confusion. The Spirit of God will come in crying out, Jesus, make much of Jesus, celebrate Jesus. That's going to be the cry. Eight chapters earlier when he wrote Acts 9, eight chapters earlier, there was no church. And they were just kind of gathered together and the Spirit of God just fell among them and they were sealed in his ownership. They embraced him by faith. Their lives were guaranteed as a deposit into the eternal. They lived with a level of passion and conviction that was unbelievable and the church prospered in the midst of persecution. This of all weeks is a week that we're watching the church prosper in the midst of persecution. As 21 of our brethren gave up their lives. I love what one friend wrote on on one of the social networks. Oh God, who is the Saul that was standing at the edge of our Coptic brothers in Christ who might speak the truth of Christ throughout a region of the Middle East where the gospel will prevail either here or throughout eternity. We are just simply coming and saying, Oh God, in the midst of persecution, move your church. Stamp us with the mark and guarantee of an eternal view of the kingdom. Because we've been marked by you. And I'm not, I'm not running around going, how's it going today? Are we in peril today? My daughter wrote me yesterday and said, the family that I'm closest to, The mom dropped dead yesterday. This is in Haiti. And she said, Dad, I am so tired of location determining how life is lived. Please help me bring the gospel. We are a group of believers, and I've been writing her back and forth saying the gospel is the only thing that penetrates a world that is greatly suffering. So carry the gospel into cabaret. Carry the hope that marks you. It is God, according to 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, that both makes us and also compels us to stand firm. He anointed us, He sealed us with His ownership, and He put His spirits on our hearts, guaranteeing what is to come. Praise God. I do come with you with great words of persuasion. I come with you with Scripture simply saying we are marked. And what God marks, He confirms. What He confirms, He authenticates. What He authenticates, He proves. What He proves, He assures. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are His possession for the sake of His power and His goodness. That's why we're here. And We're here just simply to say, Father, according to Your Scripture, as Your inheritance and as a people who have received by grace Your redemptive work, we're here for the praise of Your glory. That's why we're here. For the Spirit of God comes upon the church and we'll be the witnesses of His Spirit and His power in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what we'll be. Our greatest strength as a church, I'm praying to begin to posture this and Posture our lives. Our greatest strength has become our greatest weakness. The greatest strength of the church is not our political persuasion. That's not the strength and backbone of the church, despite what we've tried to make it for several decades. The greatest strength of Mandarin, praise God for this statement, is not our financial well-being. The greatest strength of Mandarin is not the number of nickels and noses sitting in the chairs. The greatest strength of Mandarin, the strength of the church is not who we pick it or who we're against. The strength of the church is the glory of God. The strength of the church is guided by the Spirit of God. The strength of the church is a group of people who are on their knees and more importantly, on their faces with humble hearts saying, move among us for the praise of your glory. For we are not marked for anything temporal. We are marked for eternity. We're sealed by you, God. And we are crying out for presence. As I wrestled with Cynthia, I said what you desperately need and what we need as a church is presence. The presence of God. When I'll end with this. When Moses had a task that was unbelievable, he looked at the Lord and in Exodus, the 33rd chapter, he said, what I need from you, God, is your presence. I can't do this if you don't go with me. We can't be an effective church without the mark of God on our lives, without the eternal work of God in eternity past, without the cross of Jesus Christ being the center of who we are. We have nothing apart from that. But a group on our knees just simply saying, Oh God, but we sense that you want to move among us. And we need your presence. We have a mammoth task. We have a mammoth task as a church. I mean, God has given us this chance to be located in the, in the fastest growing part of Jacksonville for the last 30 years. He's given us a partner in Guatemala who are planting churches all over the region, 80 plus. He's put us in the heart of Haiti where literally hundreds, if not thousands, can come to know Christ. I'm literally praying for a tipping point in that nation that God overcomes voodoo and that becomes a Christian nation. I don't think it's possible to be a Christian nation, but there's more Christians in that nation than there are not. That's my prayer for that nation and God has given us the stewardship and I believe like Moses what we should be saying back to God as a church is this we believe you have placed us sovereignly as a corporate body of believers for the sake of your glory for the praise of your glory but oh God we have no chance of impacting this area or the nations if you don't give us your presence we need you And with unveiled faces and ever-increasing glory, we want to walk with the fullness of who you are among us. And we have nothing apart from you. God has given us as a result of his eternity past work, his his foreknowledge, his adoption, his forgiveness, his, his history past, his redemption and forgiveness of sins. He has given us that for an eternal guarantee, an inheritance and a hope. He has provided that for us and then he brings us back to this moment wherever it is, the red dot and saying I'm really hoping that you will live right here for the praise of my glory. I'm hoping that you will spin yourselves and I'm hoping that the only thing you'll, you'll ask of me is bring this presence. And bring this reality. And Father, we, we need you and I love Exodus 33, 17. He looked at Moses has said, I know your name, and I know who you are, and I'm going with you. Now let's go release millions from bondage. Oh, that that would be the response of God to this church. Holy Spirit, stir among us in such a way that we just want to display the praise of your glory move among us so that we simply say of You, God, we need and long for Your presence. Father, I pray that You would strip away from us any thoughts of our own strength, our own will, or what we bring. And God, I pray that there would be, even in this moment of singing and in worship, an abandonment of our strength and a picking up of a strength that is so superior. Father, I pray that the strength of the Spirit of God will just flood this room. We need your presence. We are a part of your ministry of reconciliation, and we are your ambassadors, Lord. And to do that, we need your presence. We're going to sing a song right now and just